if you can find it in you to survive. If you are worthy, then I will make you into something more than them. Something eternal. Welcome to Xavier's Dream Podcast. I'm your host, Rain Coleman. This podcast is a carefree black nerd examination of the newest Dawn of X-Men. When listening to this podcast, please live tweet and comment using the hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod and XDPod. Uh, and make sure you subscribe as well on your favorite podcast listening app. Share the show uh, and reach out to me. Let me know what's going on. So without further ado, this is episode three, House of X, The Uncanny Life of Moira X. All right, y'all, we're going to get right into it. Man, okay, so the first two episodes of Xavier's Dream Podcast have been pretty interesting. Thank you all for the feedback. I do appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in and for getting those listens up and whatnot. But man, Hickman, Hickman is doing his damn thing. Okay, so we now have the second issue of House of X, The Uncanny Life of Moira X. Creative team is as follows, much of the same. Jonathan Hickman, the writer. Pepe Larza as the artist. Marte Garcia, Gracia, excuse me, as the color artist. VCs Clayton Cowles as the letterer. Tom Mueller as the design. Uh, Pepe Larza and Marte Garcia for the cover artist. And so forth. We have a bunch of variant editions as well. I've been just picking up the main covers. I haven't really gotten into anything variant, not for lack of wanting them, but I'm like, man, let me just get the regular um the regular covers and then I'll get the trade of course or omnibus however they they uh, collect it and then I'll kind of go from there. Man, we we are okay. So for those of you not familiar, or you should be, Moira McTaggart is a very close, kind of X-Men adjacent character. She's been around, um, has her own lab. She's a scientist. Everything we know about Moira has been turned on its head in this issue. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed every single piece of this book. Um, there was... Something said in the issue, uh, I believe last issue, uh, Powers of X, or Powers of 10 rather, issue 1, where we had the series of panels with the Moira and Charles Xavier and him reading her mind. It was said that that is the most important panel in X-Men in a very, very long time, or ever. And I'll have to agree, you know, at least in the context of Powers of 10 and House of X. So what we get is this story. Okay. Oh, okay, y'all. I'm kind of all over the place. So we get House of X. We got Powers of 10. These are two books that are coming out every other week. They're two different limited series that combine to make one full maxi series. With that being said, we're telling such a cyclical story that is pulling in elements of the past rewriting some of the past and factoring in some new ideas and characters for the future. That being said, now that we're on the third issue of the whole project as a whole, I'm starting to see this as more of a series. Yes, it is a comic book and I'm reading it as such, but it feels like this grandiose story that's being told in installments. 
That being said, this is the perfect way to introduce the mutants into the MCU. Um, yeah, if we're going to take Hickman as the stepping on point that from here on out, X-Men will be handled by him. So by the time they are introduced in the MCU, we will have these stories, years of these stories to fall back on. This is the perfect way. Um, in this issue, we get many lives, 10 to be exact, of Moira McTaggart. She is now a mutant. She has not been in continuity so far. She has not been a mutant. Now she is. She's a sort of immortal mutant. She has regenerative properties or regenerative abilities where she dies and, and is reborn. For all intents and purposes, she is literally reborn. Um, that being said, I think this is amazing. Again, and I'm going to, I know I'm, I sound like a Hickman stand, but I just can't help it. I'm really enjoying this series. But I think he's doing things that could have eventually, we could have gotten to, but maybe the story wouldn't have been told as well, or it would have only had certain elements. And I think this is something that is very obvious that people probably were just straying away from or never really put that much energy into because there aren't that many mutant, non-mutant allies um, who have a prominent role. And Moira is a long-standing uh, sidekick, advocate, ally to the mutants and to X-Men. So, oh my God. Okay, so before we even know about any of this, we get an opening. It looks like the, I don't know, 1800s? I don't know, y'all. Somebody tell me. But there's narration. And we get this story that at first, when I first picked up the issue, I kind of glanced through it a bit. And I was like, okay, this ain't really interesting. But I was literally just looking at panels and, and going because I had other things to do. When I sat down and actually cracked this book open, woo! Okay, y'all. So, when she was 13 years old, Moira fell ill. Her fever was high. Unnaturally so. And the doctor's prognosis was not hopeful. The next day, almost miraculously, she was fine, better than ever, right as rain. Years later, she would marry, become a school teacher, and have three children, two boys, Callum and Dean, one girl, Abigail. They would, in turn, have eight children of their own, and to Moira's great joy, once every year, the extended family would return home. Moira eventually died at the age of 74, when she passed peacefully in her sleep. It was a good life, a good human life, predictable, mostly pleasant, and not extraordinary at all. Moira's second life began in utero. It was the womb birth of a fully sentient being who had a perfect recollection of her prior life. You would think being totally aware and trapped inside your mother would lend itself to madness, but the children it seems comes with a certain amount of bliss, baked in some kind of mm, induced neurolopic zen via biology. And the truth is, I've never been happier. For your mother, it is safe. Your mother, she is home. It's the world out there that makes you lose your mind. Shortly after she was born, Moira's parents began to believe she was special. And she was, just not in the way that they thought. There was nothing special about Moira, learning to walk, speak, and read early. She was born knowing to do these things. No, she was special because she was something new. And at that time, something few in the world, including herself, had ever seen. Though she did not know it, Moira was a mutant. Bruh, so when I read this, 
Y'all know how I get about my mutants. I was so flipping excited. The reason being, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, again, this is uncharted territory for us. Okay, so for X Men, my biggest issue and my issue with this series still has been people of color and representation. I'm going to put that on the back burner for this series right now because race isn't even a factor so far except for like the chimera and the manufactured races in powers of 10 but we're not going to address that my issue has always been every time someone new populates in an x-men or x-men adjacent book any mutant is always a white passing or a clearly visibly white character that has bothered me because of course the mutant analogy stemming off the uh, social climate at the times with the um, civil rights and treatment of black people and whatever that being said it gets tiring um and so with this story where you could easily just create hickman rather could have easily created some new character and said oh this is white woman number six and she has this magical ability you've taken someone who we already know who we have a lot of knowledge of and you've turned this story on his head moira has been born lived a full life died at 74 and was reborn like just and that's literally the first two pages or yeah the first two pages that is eight panels worth of story we haven't even scratched the surface of what is going on in this book um i may be a bit disjointed in it, right because i'm just i'm still processing it like i think i tweeted a few days ago or at the time of this recording a while back um about how Scott Summers' conversation with Sue Storm Richards, really, I was having a delayed emotional reaction because it feels like these books, more than any other X-Men book in the last probably decade, or for as long as I've been back into comics, has really been pushing that hated and feared and the effects of it narrative, where it isn't just solely based on superpowers. Like for him to tell her, look, I have been told for years that I was less when I knew I was more. My family has been hunted. Um, and so I, I think I'm having a, a connection with this book because of these themes and because they feel so fulfilled where before it's just been less fight in space. Somebody's kidnapped Gene or some something that I think is important in good stories. But this, for whatever reason, is hidden for me. Um, I want to take a quick kind of um side whatever and, and mention i was listening to a podcast and it is a podcast where all of the hosts are cisgendered white heterosexual males that being said the discussion of um powers of ten and house of x came up and the one host was like yeah you know i like them i like what hickman is doing i really like his work and the other host was like yeah this is trash this is stupid why are you making the x-men out to be bad guys and he went on this kind of tirade like this 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 rant about how horrible it is and i was offended and it wasn't i didn't feel personally attacked um but i was i had a reaction i was trying to figure out why and before i could even fix my mouth to kind of process it myself one of the guests because there was a guest host or, or a guest star on the episode he said well the thing is 
you find this silly and stupid, but we can't ignore the fact, and I'm paraphrasing, we can't ignore that we are a bunch of white heterosexual men. He said the, the response that he has seen online and through correspondence with a lot of marginalized people, not just black people, but marginalized in, in, in general, have been that this is something new and exciting. Now, when he said everything he said after that and, and that piece, I felt vindicated in a sense. And I'm not sure, I really don't know how to unpack all of that, but I know he said what I probably in that moment couldn't get my head around. And it is true is that we've gotten all these stories again, taking it back to race where it's been conventionally attractive, white passing or white mutants. And you have your issues here that even the, um, the Bobby, the Iceman story, it, it's, it's a good story that should be told, but to have this story about this white man who is gay and has come out in his adult years and dealing with his family stuff and that that's fine. But when that's all that we're getting, I, there's so many other experiences other than a white gay experience that could have been folded into that story. But I digress that off the table, the, the, the moral of the story is hearing that conversation on that other podcast really made me realize, I think I may be really invested in this book because I'm seeing so much of, dare I say, and not blasphemy, but a Black Lives Matter. I see a vindication of those who have been uh, marginalized and under the boot of society at large for so damn long. And again, we're only in the first three issues, so I don't know how this is going to play out. But this is the reaction that I got from these stories. And to hear that man speak those words through my car speaker, it just, it blew me away. So, I'm hoping I made a point there. If you understand me, like if you feel me, if if you're able to better articulate what I'm trying to get out, tweet me, Carefree Blurred. Use that hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod. I'd really like to know because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling something and I still don't have all the words to get it out. But I think that what that guy said best, cap, uh, best gets across what I'm trying to get out in my own words. So let me know uh, in the comments or live tweet and let me know if you understand what I'm saying, if I'm making sense, and then and if you agree. And if you don't, that, that is why I do want to, again, make this a conversation. So let me know. In her early years, Moira had to be careful not to let on what she really was. She had to hide what was going on in a mind that was older than the humans who made her. She knew the pride they had for their special girl would quickly turn into fear if she pulled back the curtain a little too far. But try as she might, it was impossible to completely conceal how different she was. Her teachers began to use words like advanced and clever, which led to other words like brilliant and prodigy, which eventually led to Moira being pushed into the direction of academia. A life of the mind. Moira didn't fight these efforts, as she herself wanted to understand who, and what, she was, and had exhausted all the possibilities the perspective of her first life offered. Moira would later attend Oxford University. While there, she met some interesting people and eventually, after consideration of her unknown condition, concentrated her studies in the areas of biology and psychology. She ran controlled experiments to prove that her memories were not a form of disorder or psychosis. She marked the existence of personal historical markers from her first life and discovered two things. 
If she simply performed her role in events as she did in her previous life, if she was a passive participant, then that even would proceed almost exactly as before. This proved her memories were real. But if she became an active participant, then she could change what happened. And the path of her life would diverge. So speaking of diverging, I... Hopefully y'all can help me out. So with these different lives that Moira is going to live or have lived, I'm trying to figure out if she's living the same life with a slightly updated timeline. Is time moving continuously and she's just being reborn every time? Um, also with her being reborn, is she being reborn to a family member? So is she keeping her same like lineage and bloodline or are these new people every time? What I gather is that it seems as if the story wants us to think that she doesn't look the same every time, though she's drawn as an adult looking pretty much the same. A lot of these questions I have, I don't know if they'll be answered or if they'll be answered this quickly. If you guys have any uh, answers or suggestions or theories of your own, let me know. Um, with that in mind, guys, send me voice memos, voicemails. Send it to carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Use that subject line, Xavier's Dream, Xavier's Dream Pod, something to that nature, and leave what installment you're referring to so I'll be able to add it into uh, shows going forward. So we get, we pretty much pick up on Moira still talking with Charles from the last issue. Now, she's talking about, you know, how great you think it would be to be able to uh, live this new life with the idea and the memories of the last. But, and because that's what I thought. I was like, okay, cool. Now she can, I don't know, play the right lottery numbers or invest in the right inventions or whatever. But what she's saying is that, Think of how this gift becomes a curse when you meet your love of your life, but you already know every flaw they possess and you know that they will never change that. She says it destroys any chance of you recreating what you had in your first life. Um, being familiar that breeds contempt and that she, her husband could see it in her eyes and she wasn't really an active participant in her relationship. Um, there was no family in this life. There was no love in this life. So it's like, damn, though her first life was full and she, um, lived well and had a wonderful family in life. It's like, you don't know what you really have until it's gone. But even, even when it's gone, it's like, how could you have known to appreciate it even more while you had it when you already appreciated it <laughs> i'm hoping i'm making sense because i might not this entire episode but so anywho uh mora um she wondered if she was the only person in the world like this or if there were other people so we get this continuous uh bar scene with moira in the uh pub and she's seeing xavier um they flash to and i don't know when this happened in x-men history and if someone please fill me in but Charles Xavier in front of a bunch of cameras and he says, I believe the shadows are no place for angels to hide. So with that in mind, I feel it's finally time to put an end to the mask. An end to hiding our gifts behind secret identities and ill-fitting clothes. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Charles Xavier, also known as Professor X, and I am a mutant. Now, I do like that we're getting this X-Men history. 
but we're getting the X-Men history as a backdrop to Moira's story. One, Moira is a character that has had some shine, but I feel like could have been um, handled a bit better or or, um, or been more prominent, I'll say. Um, I think with the Fox X-Men movies, we got her, but there are mixed feelings when it comes to the Fox X, excuse me, X-Men universe. In this story, we're able to track Moira's history with the backdrop of the X-Men history that we already know about from the 60s all the way up to present day. Um, and so the interesting thing is when Charles made this announcement in her uh, second life, she is sitting on the couch with a laptop, like shocked. Um, and the reason I think that this timeline is continuously moving forward is because the beginning, when she lived to 74, it was like, Little House on a Prairie style. But again, I'm not from Europe or from England or any of that. So I don't know if this is just uh, regular, like maybe country living for them. But the scene and the clothing was very different. Now when we flash cut to her in this next life, when she's sitting on the couch uh, in her pajamas with a laptop open, it looks more like, I don't want to say 60s, but it's giving me something a bit more modern. Now... We see that Mora knew that she might be a mutant, just like Xavier, and that she had to talk with him to be sure. So, Mora jumped on the first flight she could to find America, and when the plane crashed into the ocean, she died. Like, bruh, again, we aren't even that far into the book. That was her second life done. Now we get her third life and it seems that things have happened just as they did in the first or in the second rather. But we're seeing that it's like we're getting, I got kind of a spy feel to this story. Not in a traditional sense of like 007, but something very espionage-ish about Moira's, um, about Moira having to maneuver through these different lives with the memories and history of her past life. Like to see her go from this exuberant, happy, jubilatious as um, young girl to old woman in the first life and then having her views be kind of jaded by the history that she lived through again. It's, I, I like this. So in her third life, she they note that she more aggressively goes after Xavier. Um, and then while doing so, again, this is taking the memories from the first life where he was, or the second life rather, where she, he was more of a um, like larger than life figure. She sees that, she sees that he's hiding something and that he's pushing ideas to serve his own best interests. And this scene feels very much like first class where Xavier and Mystique were both in that pub and he was like telling that girl... You have two different eye colors, and so you're a mutant, like flirting with that girl. But Moira is like the combination of her distaste for her natural abilities, and then the arrogance of Xavier's ideas. She felt disgusted by him, so she didn't reach out to him. Um, she decided to devote her life to curing the world of this thing, which is so interesting because again, though Moira is a mutant, she has a more passive mutant power. It isn't an active thing when you think of X-Men and battling. So I do like that we have this whole issue devoted to this mutant who is, her, her biggest sin is just knowing. Her biggest 
downfall is knowledge. And though it feels good, it can be dangerous. And as we see through the different progressions of her life, it's dangerous not only to her, but to other people. And about how that knowledge makes you an asset and a liability in the lengths that people will go to control this knowledge or to just control what happens with it. And it's such a good story. But again, this is a story that I feel is led by this woman. We're, we're focusing on her in a way where I feel like any other person would have easily or could have easily made this be some male character. But we're getting this woman who isn't traditionally a mutant now is a mutant and then what does that even mean for her and for the x-men at large because this mutant ability is this just some um i think it's opening our eyes or expanding what being a mutant is um and i know it's kind of a, a a lofty um take to have but you get someone like doug Locke or doug ramsey who um cypher excuse me who can decipher any language this is a passive thing he can understand any language that doesn't really do a lot in combat and then you have moira who's constantly being reborn that doesn't do a lot for you in combat outside of the things that you've had to teach yourself to survive because for without these powers and even with these powers you are for all intents and purposes baseline human you just happen to have this one little thing and uh i i don't know i don't you know i'm just I don't know. I'm, I'm just excited at what's going on here. So, after years and years of research and experimentation, Moira and her team finally developed a cure. And I don't know. Um, you turn the page and you find out she never got a chance to use it. Now, like I said before, this knowledge is not always good. So, what happens is Moira's lab is on fire. Her team is dead in front of her. And... We get a black panel, and on it it says, <clears throat> It's interesting. I can't see her at all. I can see the world bending around her, the edges of change rippling out, but she's just an absence, a hole where there shouldn't be one, a mutant who is invisible to other mutants. So, this is Destiny. Now, Destiny is the longtime lover of Mystique. Mystique is Nightcrawler and Rogue's parents, the blue skinned, red haired metamorph or, or uh changeling uh yeah <laughs> shapeshifter geez I, that, that word <laughs> so anywho we get destiny and destiny is able to see the future um destiny is noting that yeah i can see the future but i can't see anything around this woman uh so she continues it's a defense mechanism of sorts i suppose but not much good once you know what you're looking for um is she looking at me now, Raven? So Destiny, I'm not 100% familiar with her, but I do know that she was blind um, and she was an older woman. That's another thing I liked about Destiny from the bit that I do know is that she is a visibly older woman. She's very much an Aunt May um, in her 70s, 80s looking woman. Um, in this iteration, she's in a suit. I don't know if this is traditional to her, those of you out there who do know, please tweet me, Carefree Blurred. Use that hashtag, Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod. And let me know about this relationship uh, between Mystique and Destiny and what we see on panel here. And if it's very in keeping with the Destiny and Mystique from the past in X-Men comics. i really like to know. Uh, Mystique looks disgusted and is like, she is. She doesn't look happy. So Destiny continues, 
Yes, well, I suppose we've given her good reason. Then again, we were acting with cause. Listen to me, child. My mutant name is Destiny, and I have the power to see the future. Which is tricky, with someone like you, since your mutant power is reincarnation. One might think that would be impossible, seeing the future of someone who potentially has a limitless, unending one. But here I am, child. See me. So Moira is pissed. So, And I, again, I like this thing. This is three powerful ass women at a like 007 style standoff in the middle of a burning um, laboratory full of dead bodies. Destiny is politely and calmly sitting. And I don't even think she's sitting in a chair. She's just sitting. I want to. Yeah, it looks like she's sitting in a chair in her regal looking space outfit with Mystique at her right hand and more like it, this the imagery if we can again another scene i know i said this about rasputin in the last episode but if we can get this scene in an mcu i'm going to be here for that like just who so mora is cutting the fuck up she's like if you're gonna kill me just fucking kill me and get it over with i'm tired of this shit well it's it's not it's a lot of text it's not a lot of action as far as um, hand-to-hand combat but this is a very powerful set of scenes and, and with it happening early in one of more lives um, I'm happy because I think if we had waited too late it wouldn't have hit the same way so Mystique lets her know yeah we're going to kill you um, you know we'll see you next lifetime now um, in Destiny whew, she's such a badass like I'm I don't know if this is how Destiny was before but I am a fan <laughs> so she says <clears throat> Such a gift, knowledge, and yet here you are using it to betray your own kind. So Moira is, I like again that knowledge and that. Okay, so Moira's argument. So Destiny and, Mo, and Monique Mystique's argument is that you're using your knowledge to destroy your own people. Where Moira is like, no, we are a disease. This needs to be cured. And again, that goes back to what I said before about the three white men who were hosting that show. It's like you're getting a story where for her to internalize this hatred for herself, even when she knew that there could be others out there like her, case in point, Xavier for sure, and then other people who may be out there. For her to still have this hatred towards herself, like, oh, I just want to be normal, we are a disease, it was, it, it happens on a daily basis with people in these different communities. And it also, when you get people like that who are in a marginalized community and they have their own hatred towards their own group and you do things, be it talking shit on Twitter, being on any political show as a talking head, or um, participating in things that um, that are against these marginalized people, you contribute to a conversation where society at large and people who are more dominant are able to use that as, see, this is okay what we're doing because you have people like this who are in this community who feel the exact same way. And so I'm reading this story in a way that that guy who had the, the issue with the X-Men being villains, quote-unquote, um he may not read it the same way. And for him to even say that they're villains, it kind of took me aback. Cause I'm like, how are you villainous for finally standing up for yourself against an entire demographic, an entire, um, 
I don't know, division of people at large who only want to see you dead for nothing else but that you were born how you are. Something that you can't control. Yes, there are the, oh, what if somebody manifests powers and they accidentally kill someone? And what about, what if people can read our minds and control us? And then what do they do with that? That is fine as an argument. But it all stems back to that's how that person was born. And if we're going to take those arguments to heart, like, oh, the potential danger that this person holds, then we also got to look at the danger that humans and baseline humans have as well with the access to guns, with the access to other people's finances. So the things that you're upset about are not that different from the things that humans already do. It's, oh, God. So I digress. Uh, yeah, more is like this is a disease, destiny. You think this stops at want? So pretty much what Moira is saying is that this is a disease and we have the cure just for people who want it. You think they'll let you keep this thing you've made? Do you have any idea how much they hate us? The humans will come for you. They'll break you, chain you, and make you their own. Then mankind will use what you've done here to eliminate our entire race again going back to people who are so against their own who hate themselves and their community so much that you're able to sit up on tv and on social media and talk shit about your own people to the point where now you have folks who are making these marginalized people feel unsafe using your words and your pictures and your talking points to say yeah here why not do this you could say i'm thinking too deep into it but this is art Art is meant to be dissected. Until Hickman comes on and say, this is not what I meant by this. And even then, it doesn't matter. You may have meant one thing, but if it's read this way, it, it, this art has a life of its own. I'm saying all this to say that I feel like this X-Men story is more X-Men than a lot of things that I've read in, an in a long time. And I am enjoying this. Uh, this is a long conversation between Destiny and Moira, and I don't want to spoil it all. I do really want you all to look at this however you, you have to. If you wait for the trade, if you pick up the issues every week. But I think that this is a very important conversation that they're having here. <sighs> Man, because it feels so familiar to me. Being a black, cisgendered person, male specifically, listen, reading these words and... and can, I can see, again, they will come for you. They will break you, chain you, and make you their own. Then we'll use what you've done here to eliminate our entire race. Like, ah, can you not see? Mm -mm -mm. Mm -mm -mm. So, Moira getting big Billy Badass talking about how exactly do you think you can stop me? So, Destiny enlightens her. I am much older than you are. My powers will have manifested full of the knowledge of what we have done. If you, once again, try to do this evil work against our people like today, I will see the potential outcome of it and I will find you again. And if you try to kill me before I kill you, I will see my end coming and prevent it. You see, Moira, we are joined together now, you and I. You will know that I am out there waiting for this version of you. And you, knowing that, have a choice. Change or die. Help your people or I will annihilate you in all your lives to come. <sighs> Bruh. I want to see this scene in the MCU. I want a very regal 
older woman. I don't want no 30-year-old woman playing like she older. I want me a 65 and up, a Medicare age woman cutting into more like, motherfucker, you think you know? I will kill you. Like, do you not hear what this woman is saying? <laughs> so mistakes like, yeah, I think she on the fence by whatever. I don't know about her. So... The interesting thing is at this point, Moira is in her third life, and we understand that she's going to uh, be reborn in each life. Well, Moira, that makes her cocky. Destiny's letting her know, look, we join at the hip, be cocky or not, but understand you do this shit again, I will kill you. Now, Moira, again, is cocky because she knows she's going to be reborn. Mm. So Destiny says, you're a smart woman who you're beginning to understand the potential of your power. You're starting to believe that you are mm, an eternal loop of some kind. That your powers give you a version of immortality. I want you to know that they do not. I see 10 lives, Moira. Maybe 11 if you make the right choice. But that is all. So, again, <laughs> that didn't fuck more. First of all, that fucked me up because at the time I didn't. The book is The Uncanny Lives of Moira X. It's not The 10 Lives. But... I, I mean, why not? Moira 10 at this point. So Moira panicking. She's like, how is this possible? Destiny lets her know, you are born each time with the knowledge of your lives. But if you die as a child before your mutant powers manifest, then you will not reincarnate. You simply end like everyone else. So I like this. And I don't know if this is a trope, but this thing where you get the villain and the hero together and it is a... You have to take my word for it or else. And it's not necessarily you better take my word. It's I'm giving you this truth. You don't like what you're hearing, but deal with it either way. And that's exactly what Moore says. Like, what if I don't believe you? What if you're lying to me? Then what the hell happens? My dear, you're a scientist. You tell me. How would one go about proving something like that? She would test it. The question is, will you? Will you embrace what you are and help your people instead of hurt them? So Moira, and I, again, I like this because she's going through this kind of um, cognitive dissonance, not dissonance, she's going through, she has to kind of reevaluate what is what, you know, what her priorities are. Because one, she was reborn, she was confused, she seeks out help, and then re being reborn for the third time, it's like, I have to be active, I have to do something. Though it's problematic because you are essentially going to wipe out an entire race of people, your own people, though you didn't know that at the time you are being naive, you still, I feel, have a privilege. It can't be ignored that Moira is a cisgendered white woman. She's conventionally attractive, beautiful even, and she's maneuvering through this life, one, with that privilege, and then two, with the knowledge of her past lives. So you're able to rise to these ranks, which that's not something I'm really concerned with because that's your, that's just part of your power. But you're doing this in a way where a black woman or a woman of color would have a very different, um, a different uh, travel, for lack of a better term. They would maneuver through life a bit differently with different uh speed bumps and roadblocks that you just did not have additionally being a person of color i feel that the um end result being trying to cure this thing would be very different as a priority for someone who is of color 
but continuing on, uh, Disney, <laughs> Moira is saying that I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm going to help or hurt them. Like, pretty much, she's being honest, which is silly, because if it was me, I'd be like, no, I ain't going to do it, because you ain't going to keep killing me. <laughs> so Disney says, well, you don't know? Let's find out. So Moira says, like, I don't want to die like this. Well, dying like this is what a life poorly lived gets you. So Pyro is there. So you have Destiny, Mystique, and Pyro. And I'm assuming they're probably the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, but if not, kind of wrapped up in maybe a, a different iteration. So she says to Pyro, who has pyrokinetic powers, he can control fire, burn her, and slowly, so she doesn't forget how dying feels. What? And they set her on fire. And again, this is why I want this. I want this in the MCU. I want this graphic as terrifying as story with this woman being burnt alive at the end. Moira's third life. Year one, Moira Ken Ross is born. Year 13, mutant manifestation. Year 16, Moira enrolls at Oxford. Year 28, Moira founds the Muir Research Institute. Year 36, Moira identifies the X gene. Year 38, Moira wins Nobel Prize. Year 42, Moira dies in laboratory fire. Okay, so we move on to Moira's fourth life. And this is one of my favorite lives of hers. Because again, <laughs> Destiny didn't put the fear of God, uh, Allah, Buddha, whoever you believe in, <laughs> under her ass. Like, she threw herself into her work. She uh, kind of was more focused. So, at this time, excuse me, we find out that she uh, she goes after Xavier. Now, this, in this new light of all the things that she's learned in her previous lives, she gave Charles a, a second look because, of course, before she was like, and this nigga is arrogant, I ain't really feeling him. And she kind of saw beyond his confidence and his arrogance, she saw what he had underneath, which was a mutant who was determined to make sure his people had a place in the world. He was a mutant with a dream, and that made her love him. So again, think of, I think of, um, and I know there's other examples, but remember American Horror Story Coven, where when these witches died, they were stuck in a constant loop of their worst fear. And not that Moira was in a constant loop of her worst fear, but she's in a constant loop. So, uh, or like 51st Dates, where you have to constantly reintroduce yourself to this person, and this person that you love, and you have to deal with uh, you having all this knowledge, but being more patient with them because they don't have all that knowledge. So they do this montage of sorts in the fourth life where she, she being Moira, fell in love with Charles. So much so that she stood by his side for the rest of their days through the gifted years, which we get the first five, the original five X-Men and their original uniforms back in the 60s. Through the time of hate and fear. And this looks like the giant size X-Men. And that entire era of the new iterations of like X-Men Red and X-Men oh, Blue and X-Men Gold. And then she also stood through him through the lost decade. This is when Namor, Ilyana, Ilyana, God Lord, Ilyana <laughs> Magic, <laughs> uh, uh, Cyclops, Emma Frost, and Colossus were imbued with the Phoenix Force. Uh, which was not too long ago. And until the very end, 
when as destiny has promised, the humans and their extinction machines came for all of their children. So we show these different stages in life where Moira, though in the regular continuity, we not we have not seen her as much. We see now, again, Hickman's kind of rewriting history where she's been there for all of this in the last decade. Like, honestly, truthfully, I don't stand too much for too many of Moira's type, but I want every single one of her lives. Give me a series, a ongoing series, which are the, and you can call it the uncanny lies of Moira X, where we follow her through these different trying times. I would love to see that. Hey, I'd love to write it, you know, uh, let me know. Uh, copyright Carefree Black Nerd, Xavier's Dream Podcast. Hire me, Marvel. So one thing I've always been a bit taken aback by is that Sentinels are able to kill these mutants now i get that you're a big powerful machine but when you're not imbued with magic why are these machines able to take down these very powerful people now i get the exhaustion if they're just coming and coming non-stop but that's not the case so i just man it's just technology shouldn't win against organic material and mutants are for all intents and purposes organic uh okay so in this life uh, well, the fifth life, because uh, that fourth life, that fourth life was terrible. We see that the Sentinels came and they killed all of the children of the Atom. Moira's fourth life. Year one, Moira King Ross is born. Year 13, Mutant Manifestation. Year 16, Moira enrolls at Oxford. Year 23, Moira and Xavier marry. Year 35. Xavier and Moira establish the Xavier School for Gifted Children. Year 55, Moira dies in Sentinel Attack. Now what I'm concerned with when it comes to Moira and these lives is are we getting her lives led or are we getting divergent alternate timelines? So, bear with me. We get these 10 lives of Moira, Ken Ross. We get to follow her through, I think, 9 of them. With these different lives that she's leading, are we resetting the alternate timelines already existing in the Marvel Universe as it pertains to mutants? Are we going to, like what DC did when they scaled down all of their um, different alternate universes to just a few, I think, or 52, something like that, are we getting only 10 timelines the one 616 or prime timeline, and then the other 10. That being said, again, another way that you can introduce the mutants into the MCU, keep all the already established Fox movies as an alternate timeline or a divergent timeline where Moira dies, and when she's reborn, does that set off another timeline? Because if we keep seeing Charles Xavier and she keeps meeting him, Though we seem to be a bit further in the future, and when you look at the clothing and the technology, it seems to be that this is a new timeline where these people are born as well. So when she's being reborn, even if it's kind of quote-unquote to your own bloodline, is it in a separate universe? Because I, 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 that's what I'm thinking. Let me know what you think. Use the hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod and let me know because it feels like that's what's going on because we get to her fifth life 
where Moira decides that, you know, she's going to pretty much, she, she keeps her line of thinking. She steals money from her parents, runs away to New York. This is about the age of 13. Now, we see 13 in every timeline is when her mutant powers manifest. Now, there she finds Charles. And this is probably a decade or so before they were supposed to meet. And she opened her mind to him so he could see everything. Now, how old is Charles? Because ain't he like, I don't know, 10 years at least older than Moira? Yeah, we're not going to worry about that for this story, but that's 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 different. So instead of a school for mutants, he gathered a city, a city of uh, pretty much a pretty, it's kind of like a Wakanda, but just for mutants. Um, and it held back all of this shit until the machines arrived again. So we all know about Boulevard Trash. Uh, he created the Sentinels and he sent them and they found this beautiful legion that was the new x-men mutant habitat safe community and shit hit the fan where is fifth life year one moira king ross is born year 13 mutant manifestation year 24 xavier and moira established the mutant nation of faraway year 43 moira injured in sentinel attack she's in a coma year 44 Genocide at Far Away. Now, something of note after the fifth life, we get no sixth life. There is a missing sixth life of Moira X. So, I wonder if that's the main timeline, if that's something that'll be flushed out later. I'm not going to worry too much about it. I know that it was deliberate and that Hickman is going to give us something, something with that. Hell, it might be a limited series of that sixth life. Um, that being said, the graph of the different timelines and the different lives of Moira, they are like a British-orange family. And as each life continues, they get darker and darker until the 10th life, I believe, is black. Now, y'all know I feel black is beautiful, period. <laughs> but for the purposes of this story, I'm going to assume that that means we're getting to a darker timeline, which is the current timeline that I think houses the mutant man-machine uh, human war. So now in the seventh life, Moira becomes a spy. She's pretty, she's kicking ass. She, um, she goes through and kills off the Trask bloodline. So she starts with Bolivar, Donald, Gwyneth, Simon, and without mercy, she's killing every single member of that Trask family. Now, with that blood on her hands, because, you know, superheroes, they don't like you to kill, but I say kill them. Kill them all, hell. So, Moira learned uh, the dark truth, which was artificial intelligence is like a fire. It's a discovery. It's not an invention. So all she did was kind of delay the inevitable. No matter what, the Sentinels were always created. Now they're showing these different scenes within this seventh life. And we're seeing a traditional Sentinel. But we also get a Sentinel that looks kind of like um, the Avengers. Uh, like a more sentient man, human style sentinel um she it says that at some point in life they simply emerge like somebody creates these things and with that 
any hope that Moira had of her being able to stop them died. This experience did what? It radicalized her. She became a radical mutant with almost um, unlimited knowledge. Moira's seventh life. Year one, Moira King Ross is born. Year 13, mutant manifestation. Year 16, Moira joins the BAF and receives military training. Year 21, Moira disappears. Year 28, Moira kills Bolivar Trask. Year 31, Moira kills Donald Trask. Year 36, Moira kills Gwen Trask. Year 38, Moira kills Simon Trask. Year 49, Moira dies after discovering Wild Master Mold Facility. <laughs> now getting back to that sixth life, y'all tweet me, Carefree Blurred, um, Xavier's Dream Pod, XD Pod. What do you think happened in that sixth life? I want to know what your ideas are, or send me that voice memo to carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Use that subject, Xavier's Dream Pod, Xavier's Dream Podcast, something to that effect. Because I'd like to know. Give me some fan theories. What do you think that six life consisted of? Or what do you think that six life is? Because it was explicitly left out of House of X, issue two. <laughs> so, moving on, Moira gets to her eighth life, and she left behind that Charles Xavier stuff. She said, uh, we have a necessary evil. So, she takes a boat ride, and she uh, approaches Magneto, who's sitting on his throne, and she told him everything, and he raged the fuck out, sending missiles uh, towards the White House. And then, with doing so, he fell. He fell to the X-Men, to the Avengers, to the Hulk, Iron Man, like everyone. He fell. He was betrayed by his own kind. And I like this story because it gives you a different twist on Magneto. Yes, he's the... Kind of sometimes villain, sometimes hero, mainly lately hero. But when you look over the entire history of the X-Men, if we are taking Moira's story as concrete fact and gospel, all of the things that Xavier has done and all the things that Magneto have done, with that Moira knowledge, can we not say that he was really working in the best interest of his people? Maybe he wasn't the best at it. Um... But with that knowledge that Moira has that they are going to eventually fall to these human-made machines, can you blame him for wanting to even the playing field? I don't know. Um, I'm, I, I, I like this. I like this story that we're getting. And her going after Magneto after trying so hard to be with Charles and to be with him both romantically and uh, just to advance... Uh, their people failing miserably, that seems like the logical next step. Moira's eighth life. Year one, Moira King Ross is born. Year 13, mutant manifestation. Year 16, Moira enrolls at Oxford. Year 17, Moira rejects Savior. Year 24, Moira joins Magneto. Year 27, Magneto conquers America. Year 28, Moira establishes House of M. Year 35, Magneto dies in War of M. Moira is imprisoned. Year 38, Moira dies in failed prison escape. In Moira's ninth life, she gets a bit more desperate. And again, I like that we see her kind of... She's doing everything she can within her power to change 
the world. And that gets frustrating, especially when you have to die and be reborn and live a full life in order to enact that change. So this time, whew, with what she feared was little time left. Little time left, Moira embraces the idea of evolutionary dominance, survival of the fittest. Some thought him a monster, some called him evil, but to Moira, Apocalypse was simply the only solution she had not tried. And if the humans wanted a war, if their machines did, then they would give them one without end. And again, we have these cinematic scenes where Moira, I don't know if she's one of the four horsemen of Apocalypse or if she's like his lover, but she takes to him and gives him the same knowledge that she's tried with Xavier and with Magneto <laughs> and they have an all-out war they fight with Nimrod so I'm wondering if we made it to that thousand years and still failed or well I know we didn't make it that far but just seeing her fight alongside Apocalypse is bruh this is so again if we could see this scene on screen in the like I feel like Hickman is giving us so much friggin good ass content for on-screen film like you can't mess this up moira's ninth life year one moira king ross is born year 13 mutant manifestation year 18 moira wakes apocalypse year 19 apocalypse kills savior year 21 apocalypse kills magneto Year 24, Moira and Apocalypse rescue the first horsemen and return to Earth. Year 28, Moira and Apocalypse form the X-Men. Year 35, Apocalypse enslaves Sinister. Year 42, Apocalypse War begins. So we get to the end and there is no end. We don't have a resolution as to what happened with Moira in that ninth life. And then, and then... After all the lives lost, after the end of all the wars, armed with the knowledge that all the old ways and all the old ways of thinking would never be enough, enough to save her people, she decided to try something truly revolutionary. And in Moira's tenth life, she decided she and Charles Xavier would break all the rules. And we are flashback or brought to the present or whatever Back to on that park bench, Moira and Charles sitting, staring at each other. And I wondered why sitting here under the parted skies and brilliant sun was the strong man smiling so. I, I wasn't, yes. Do you know? Do you want to know why? I do, she says, very much so. And Xavier continues, I was smiling because I have recently had the most wonderful dream of a better world and my place in it. Well, here's the thing, Charles. It's not a dream if it's real. Man, I cannot wait to see this live and in color. I'm sorry, do we know each other? Oh yes, we do go back quite a ways. Who, who are you? Why don't you read my mind, Charles? Read my mind and see. Ah. Moira's 10th life, year one. Moira King Ross is born. Year 13, Mutant Manifestation. 
Year 16, Moira enrolls at Oxford. Year 17, Moira meets Xavier. Year 25, Moira marries Joseph McTaggart. Year 27, Moira founds the Muir Research Institute. Year 28, Moira wins Nobel Prize. Year 47, Moira, Xavier, Magnetoschism. Year 49, Genocide at Genosha. Year 50, Moira fakes her death, Sheer Golem. Year 52, House of X. So there's a few things going on here. In her ninth life, we see that it continues on. There is no defining death. So for all we know, that ninth timeline is continuing on. For the tenth life, it seems that everything from the regular X-Men history, including the Hickman stuff, is all within the tenth life of Moira McTaggart. That being said, do we have these different alternate timelines? My guess is that we do. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, life 6 is missing. So maybe that will be addressed in Powers of 10. I don't know, but I'm looking forward to it. So guys, let me know what you think. You know, what what's what's going on? Where we are? Let's let's do a quick check-in. Um, of course, um, in anything that I said, agree, disagree, um, have different thoughts or ideas, let me know. Use that hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod or XDPod. Let tell me in this issue was Xavier's dream deferred or was it fulfilled? Which one is it? Um, I'm thinking that there are three timelines. Uh, also, kind of picking up on the the questions from before, who are the lost heroes or the lost leaders? Uh, do we have any idea who they may be? Um, what is Hickman getting at? Does anyone have any ideas of what's the end game for this iteration of the X-Men? Let me know. I'm very interested. Um, so that being said, hit me up on Twitter, CarefreeBlurred. Use the hashtags. Uh, please be sure to send in some voicemails or voice memos if you like. CarefreeBlackNerd at gmail.com. All other social medias, I'm CarefreeBlackNerd. Um, thank you all for listening in. Uh, please be sure to listen to the other shows on the Carefree Black Nerd feed. Uh, we have a light in the sky. We have uh, Black Lightning's Matters coming up soon. Um, and then a host of other things. Also, be sure to check out uh, YouTube. There is a YouTube channel for the Carefree Black Nerd Podcast. It's up and going right now. It hasn't officially launched, but there are some videos on there, podcast episodes, so share and whatnot. Um, let me know. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. This Moira, this series has been firing on all cylinders, and I do not see it stopping anytime soon. That being said, everyone, please make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening app. Share on your social medias. Use those hashtags. Talk with me. Email me. Let me know that you're out there, that you're listening. Let me know what's going on. And um, until next time, guys, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, and do all you can to preserve those 10 lives because we're not sure if we're going to get any more than that. I am here. I have always been here.